work. Now, up to this point, let me just kind of remind you where we are up to this point. Chapter 1, Jesus ascends. He tells them, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so up to this point, up to chapter 10, we've seen how that has happened. There are witnesses in Jerusalem, witnesses in Judea, and Samaria. Okay. Now remember, when, it, when they witnessed in Samaria and the Samaritans responded, at first you kind of get the glimpse, if you go back, that you know there's kind of a feeling there when you read the text that they weren't happy about that, but they accepted it because the evidence that the Spirit had come upon them, just like he did with the Jews at Pentecost. Now we're getting ready to enter into that next section, really the biggest section, to the othermost parts of the world. Because now we're going to see that the gospel comes to the Gentiles. Now to understand what's happening here, I think we need to remind ourselves, how did the Jews, and still do, how do the Jews view Gentiles? Anybody? Second rate? Okay, that would be, yeah, that's a pretty polite term, yeah. Huh? Insignificant, okay. Uh, one of the, uh, you know, around the time of Jesus, one of the Jewish writers said that uh, they were the logs of hell. They were for the fire, you know, the fire, you know, I mean, seriously, they, they had no use for Gentiles, separated from them totally, would not even go into their homes. To have contact with a Gentile is to render yourself unclean. So you're talking about a major prejudice towards Gentiles. In fact, they would also view the Gentiles as oppressors, do you understand, of Israel. Setting all of this up in your mind to help you to understand the significance of what's going to take place and the reaction to it. Because what's going to take place, we're going to see as we continue in our study, is that there is a reaction. And it actually foreshadows problems in the church up until about AD 70 when Jerusalem is destroyed. Okay? So, let's take a look together. We're going to look at the first 16 verses of chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to, and to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour, of the day, he, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come before, have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is at the lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him departed, had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. 
So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open up and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Okay, so let's, we're going to take a look. We're going to look at, first of all, Cornelius. We're going to talk about Cornelius for a moment. And then we're going to talk about Peter's vision. Okay, so verses 1 to 8 is about Cornelius. Now, text starts off, and it tells us, in Caesarea, which would be in the north of Palestine, okay, in the north of Palestine, There was a Roman centurion from the Italian regiment called Cornelius. So this is a Roman centurion. A centurion is a leader of a hundred. He would be a commander of a hundred troops. He is a Roman, and we see that here. It also describes him, he is described as a devout man and one who feared God. Now, What we're going to see from this point on, when we see with the missionary journeys later on, you're going to see described when they go into a synagogue that there are the Jews there and the God-fearers. That Gentiles who fear God. So these are Gentiles who believe in God. However, they don't want to become Jews. They don't want to become proselytes. This most significant reason why they don't want to do that is because Jews were circumcised. You understand? And that was, to be very honest with you, to the Romans at that time and to most Greeks, that was considered to be weird, horrible, and they didn't want to do that, okay? So they would never go through the full process of becoming a Jew. Now, you would say, well, maybe that's their bent. They didn't want to do that. Actually, that's not true. The Romans were very interesting. If you looked at Rome, they they basically swallowed up every religion there was around them. When they took over a nation, they took over those gods and just added to their pantheon of gods. And Romans would go through whatever initiation rites to become a part of that pagan or that worship of that God. They would do whatever it takes to become a follower of that God. So following the God of Israel, what was holding them back from going through the whole process was, you ready? Circumcision. No interest in that whatsoever. But they did worship God. They were devout. They would go to the synagogue. They would go to the synagogue, except they would not take the next step forward and become a full Jew. Now, he was 
generous as he gave to the poor among the people. He was he also generously gave to the poor among the people. So we're not just talking about a guy who is devout, who believes in God, but it's it's expressed in his actions because here he is, he's a centurion in the Roman Roman army, so he's obviously has some money, and he basically is giving to help the poor among the people. Okay? So he's known as giving to the poor among the people. The other thing I want you to see is this. He was consistent in prayer. Consistent in prayer. I think the text says, and prayed to God always. So this is a guy, we would describe him in our language today as a prayer warrior. As a prayer warrior. He basically was very consistent in praying to God. Now, this guy has a vision. This guy has an encounter with God, okay, or a messenger from God. And we see that in verses 3 to 6. So let's talk about the timing. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision of an angel of the Lord calling to him. Now, it says there in your text about the ninth hour. Now, they didn't measure time the way we did. They measured it from, let's say the sun came up at 6, the ninth hour from the time that the sun came up. So we would say about 3 o'clock, okay? The sun came up at 6. We're talking about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision of an angel of the Lord calling to him. The angel told him that his prayers and his giving were pleasing to the Lord. Now notice something here. Two things that he's doing that's pleasing to God. One is what? Praying. So I think that's a significant thing that you and I need to recognize. Prayer is always pleasing to God. It's not the method or manner. It's not just prayer. Prayer is always pleasing to God. The second thing that was pleasing to God, if you notice what the text here is saying, your alms. Alms are your gifts to the poor. So his, 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 his helping the poor was very pleasing to God. Now let me just stop for a moment. I think we sometimes miss this in church culture. But throughout the Old and the New Testament, God has a special place in his heart for who? Does anybody know who God has a special place in his heart for? Yeah, who said that? Okay, Brad, poor and the needy, okay. Specifically, two, two, two groups. Widows and orphans, because they were the destitute, listen to me, the destitute of society. The destitute of society. Nobody was there to care for them. Because they lost, a widow especially, would if she lost her husband, lost the main source of care and uh, income for her. So God's always got a special place in his heart for the poor. So any type of outreach, any type of service, any type of reaching out to them, God always looks at favor with it. Do you you understand what I'm saying? Now, I want you to notice something. When you look into Scripture, he doesn't use the categories that we use with reference to ministering to the poor. 
What do you mean by that? Well, we like to say, well, they're getting enough anyhow. You know what I'm saying? They're getting enough in relief, or they're getting enough here, or they're getting for the go. They don't need our help. That's not the category of how you help them in the Bible. The Bible is, is you help them, that pleases God. Why? They have a special place in the heart of God. And I think that's significant for us as a church to remember. Because sometimes churches can get to where they, you know, it, it used to be a strategy years ago to focus on a type of or a class of people in a society and minister to them. So you might have churches, and I know of churches, where they only focus on professionals. Okay? Now, that's not true in our area, but if you get into a suburban area, you might have a church that's that's focused on yuppies. Okay? Some of you are laughing. Okay? We don't have any yuppies in our area, okay? You know, the, the, you know, so the reality is that I think that's missing the boat. Because when you look, it's the common people who responded to Jesus. And it's the poor. And here you've got a guy who says not just his prayers are pleasing to God, but his gifts to the poor are pleasing to God. Let's go on. The angel tells him to send men to Joppa to look for Simon Peter. So the angel says, look, i got a job for you. I want you to send two of your folks, send two men to Joppa to look for Simon Peter. Okay? Two men to Joppa to look for Simon Peter. Now, the angel tells him that where Peter is, and that he will have instructions. Now, this is pretty specific, isn't it? Just don't go to Joppa and look for a guy. You're going to find him at a guy named Simon, who's a tanner, who lives by the seaside. That's pretty specific directions. Because it's not like here. If you went there, and you're, if you go into, if you went into Joppa and you say, hey, I'm looking for some dude named Simon who's a tanner, everybody's going to know who he is. Because there probably aren't that many tanners around. And it's a small enough community, they'll know exactly where he is. So he is in a house by a seaside. Pretty specific instructions. So I want you to notice, Cornelius calls his servants and sends them to Joppa. He calls his servants and sends them to Joppa. Now, let me just stop for a moment. How many men did the angel tell him to send? Okay, Mike says two. Is that what the text says? Two. How many does he send? Look at verse. Look at verses seven, eight. How many does he send? Three. Why, why do you think he sent three? He sends two servants. Okay, he sends two servants. But who else does he send? Yeah, a devout soldier. That's that's a practical thing. The guy obviously cares for his what? So you would be like, well, what's the big deal with sending a soldier? It's not like our time, folks. Even though we don't have any police officers in Kerwinsville anymore, okay? You In that area, if you were taking a journey from Caesarea to Joppa, that's a pretty good distance by foot. Do you think the roads are safe? No, no, so they're going to send, he's sending who with them? A soldier. Now, you think the guy's going to, the soldier's going to go not armed? 
No, he's probably armed. He's going to look like a Roman soldier. You think somebody's going to mess with him on the highway? Probably not at all. Okay, so you can see what's going on here. So he sends two servants like he's told. Now, the servants, would they be probably, what would they be? Would they be Italian? Would they be Roman? Or would they be what? A lot of times they had servants who were from the people group that they were among. So it's probably that they were Jews. Okay? Probably they were Jews. It's possible that they weren't. The text doesn't really say. But now let's look at the vision. So while that's going on, so you got on one hand, you've got this vision that's happening with Cornelius. While that's going on, Peter's in the house at Joppa. He's in the house at Joppa, and he's having prayer. So notice, at the noon hour, okay, so at 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock, the day before, three, you know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon the day before, what's happening? Cornelius has his vision. At the noon hour on the next day, Peter's up on the housetop praying. Now let me just stop for a moment. Their houses are completely different than our houses. We have a pitch to our roof, right? Your house has a pitch. In Palestine, and even to this day, the roofs are flat. So Peter is up on the rooftop. A lot of times they would go up on the rooftop, especially in the cool of the evening. But he's up on the rooftop at the noon hour praying. He's up on the rooftop at the noon hour praying. During his prayer time, Peter becomes hungry and requests some food. So while he's up there, it's the noon hour, it's lunchtime, he gets hungry. And he sends down a request, he probably yells down a request, give me some food. Give me some food. So as he was waiting for the food to be prepared, he falls into a trance. He falls into a trance. Now this... This is not uncommon in the scripture. A lot of times when folks have visions, they will fall into a trance. Abraham, remember Abraham when he had his vision, when he took the animals and split them in half, and he was, of course, making sure he fell into a trance and saw the vision of the fiery furnace coming between, which was the presence of God. So this is not uncommon in the scripture. So while he's waiting for the food to be prepared, he falls into a trance. Now, in his trance... Peter sees a vision of a sheet held by its four corners descending from heaven. He sees a vision of a sheet held by its four corners descending from heaven. It's kind of an unusual dream, isn't it? Now, the sheet contained all kinds of animals from the earth. Now, if you look there, Look at what it says. All kinds of four-footed animals, wild beasts, creeping things. Anybody got an idea what a creeping thing is? Bugs, lizards, you know what I'm saying? Things like that. And birds of the air. So basically, any this is a sheet that's filled with the animals of the earth, okay? Or types of animals from the earth. Now, he's commanded to do something here. He... 
a voice commanded Peter to kill and eat the animals. To kill and eat the animals. Now, let me just stop for a moment. This is not like some of you where you are dreaming you're out on the Colorado Plains hunting elk or you're on your best tree stand and you've, you've got this vision of you getting that big uh, uh, buck and so forth. And, and, you, and that's a happy dream to you. So you're all excited. You're ready to kill and you're ready to eat it. This is not the kind of dream that Peter is having here, okay? He's not having that kind of dream. Because I want you to notice how he reacts. Peter objected to the command since he has never eaten anything that was unclean. He's a Jew. One of the things that we know about Jews that sometimes Gentiles have a problem with is their dietary, what they eat for a diet. In fact, to this day, what they eat is called what? It has to be what? Kosher. It has to be killed, sorting according way. It has to be, you know, it has to be a certain type. And so Peter, as a Jew, would have never eaten anything that would have been considered unclean. So, for instance, he would have probably never eaten a squirrel or a rabbit, anything like that. Not at all. So when he sees this vision with these animals, he's probably repulsed by them. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's probably disgusted by them. And then to be told to what? Kill and eat them? That would be probably reprehensible. Do you understand what I'm saying? Reprehensible. Do you know what I'm saying? If that's not what you normally eat, or it's not cooked the way you normally eat it, you won't what? Eat it. So like, I'll give you the story. Lori and I first get married. We first get married... She makes tuna noodle casserole. My favorite. I love tuna noodle casserole. So she makes tuna noodle casserole, and I'm like, this is not the way mom makes it. <laughs> I, I wasn't happy with it because she had these big onion, pieces of onion in there. So you need, and in fact, here's what, you can tell this is what a newlywed does. I said, you need to ask my mom how she makes it, okay? So, <laughs> you can see she's put up with a lot with me, okay? She did ask my mom, and what did my mom say? <laughs> I've never said anything again ever yet about that, okay? But you know, when you first... You know, if you're used to something, you're going to be... He's repulsed here. He's repulsed here. So, he objected to the command since he's never eaten anything. Now, the voice... Now, this is a powerful principle. This is something that's true even to this day. The voice tells Peter not to call anything that God has cleansed unclean. All right, let's just stop for a moment. That's a powerful principle. We're going to see that illustrated here in the few next week and the week following. Why do you think that principle is powerful? He's talking about the Gentiles ultimately, but why do you think that's still applicable today? 
Because the, Gentile, the church mainly today in North America is made up of Gentiles, okay? But this principle still is applicable. Why is it still not? Why is this so powerful? Think about it for a moment. Put your thinking caps on. What's that? Okay, that's good, Rhonda. We can go further than what you're saying. Okay, think about it. Okay, did you hear what Bruce said? It's very possible, and it's not possible, it does happen, that in the church today, we might consider certain people as unclean whom God may have cleansed. Okay? So, okay, it's not true anymore in our society, but I want you to think back Pennsylvania maybe 100 years ago. Okay, think back Pennsylvania 100 years ago. 100 years ago in our towns, you would have sectors of the town. They would be made up of Italians, maybe Irish, Germans. Maybe Germans lived outside of town. And, and even in the history of PA, there are, there are stories of towns fighting each other. There's one town's primarily made up of Italians and another's made of Slovaks or whatever. And, and you have, how many can remember, maybe even 50 years ago, attitudes towards people in town because they were Dutch. No, excuse me. They were what? Italians, Slovaks, Germans. Did, did you understand what I'm saying? Irish. And when you think about the church, and a lot of times the churches back then tended to be, if there was a church, they tended to be made up of people who were what? Yeah, just the, one group. Okay? One group. And so that principle still holds true today because, okay, so it may not be ethnic issues right now, but it might be, okay, you ready for this? Socioeconomical, right? You know, we might have an attitude towards somebody because they don't make a lot of money. Or in, in a blue-collar church, you might have an attitude towards somebody who's a what? A white-collar person, a management person. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? There are... Prejudices, that's another word for it, partiality shown towards people. Now, here's the thing. Nobody can say that you're not prejudiced, right? Now, when we talk about prejudice in America, we always think in terms of race, black and white, but that's not tr necessarily always true. You can be prejudiced towards somebody, and it has nothing to do with the color of their skin. This principle, when it comes to the church, is applicable to who? Everyone, even to this day. Everyone, even to this day. Now, the command and the pronouncement took place three times before it was taken up. Now, it this vision that he has happens three times before it was taken up. Three times. And again, Peter objects each time. You know, so it's, he sees the vision, it happens, and Peter objects three times. Three times. Now, why do you think it's significant that it's happening three times? Why do you think it's significant that it's happening three times? Okay, clarity. Anybody else got a, another way of saying it? Three times. 
No, it has nothing to do with the Trinity. Okay, how about this? Let's say I got one of my boys, and, and I say to him, hey, let's, let's say you're one of my boys, Bruce. I want you to get the garbage out to the road because it's garbage day. All right, Daddy. Five minutes later, hey, I want you to get the garbage out to the road, all of it out of the garage today. It's garbage day. Fifteen minutes later, hey, just want to be sure you know, you got to get the garbage out to the road today. Make sure you get everything. Okay, now what am I doing? I'm emphasizing so that he gets the what? Yeah, he gets the point. Now, later on, two hours later, the garbage is still out, not out. I didn't hear you. Okay, that's a teenage thing. Okay. But with, now listen, Peter's going to get the message because he gets the message. It's not just a one-time thing. This is a significant thing. This is a thing from God. This is not bad whatever, kosher whatever they were eating. Because he hadn't eaten anything yet. He falls into trance. This is an emphasis on you've got to pay attention to what is being said here. So he's going, to, he's going to get this because to, when we look at it next week, we're going to see that the men come and they're going to want him to go to a house of a Gentile. And that's a big stretch. But you're going to notice how he responds. Okay.